Greetings, Detective. Welcome to the Murder Mystery Company in our new free service, Calm Mystery. We know that many of you need that calm and centered moment, but meditation isn't necessarily your thing. If you're a mystery lover, a crime fan, and could use a break, you've come to the right place. It sure is a suspenseful world out there, but I have good news for you. In this world, the only suspense will come from the world's best writers. For the next few minutes, we're going to close the door on the outside world. First, find a comfortable chair, sofa, or bed. Take a moment to just relax into that spot. Let your body sink in, slowly releasing the day's tension. Just relax. You've earned this time. You need this time for you. Your body will thank you. Now let's take a moment to clear your mind. I want you to focus on two things. My voice and your breathing. Take a deep breath in through your nose. Let it out slowly through your mouth. Now the same thing, but let's breathe on my count. Three counts in and four counts out. Breathe in. One, two, three. Now out. One, two, three, four. As we do this, you're going to slowly relax more and be perfectly ready for tonight's dastardly tale. Now again, breathe in. One, two, three. Now out. One, two, three, four. One more time, breathing out the last bit of stress. Breathe in, one, two, three. Now out, one, two, three, four. Excellent. Tonight's tale of mystery, intrigue, and murder is truly spine-tingling. Welcome to Calm Mystery. Our selection this time, Possibilities, by Bill Pronzini, read by Perry F. Bruns, Part 2. The next day was Telford Free, miraculously enough, until six o'clock. I was out front then, watering the lawn, when Aileen appeared, out for her daily constitutional. Roger had his morning jog and snoop around the neighborhood. She had her evening walk and snoop. You had to admire their methods, the well-coordinated way in which they covered their territory, marching off at different times of the day in different directions to bother people, like a crack stealth commando team. She came my way in her quick, choppy gait and stopped on the sidewalk a few feet from where I stood. If her husband resembled a basset hound, Aileen's breed was fox terrier, 
small and wiry with angular features and a long, quivery nose that always seemed moist and shiny, perfect for poking into places it didn't belong. Well, Howard, she said, I don't suppose you've heard from Suzanne? But I have. She called last night. Did she? And how is her sister's health? Improving. So then she'll be coming home soon. Possibly not, I said. The long nose twitched. Why not, if she isn't needed in Duluth? She may be staying on there just the same. For how long? Indefinitely. What's that? She's never coming back? Indefinitely doesn't mean never, Aileen. Why would she stay in Duluth? She likes it there. More than she likes me, I'm sorry to say. Are you trying to tell me she's left you? I'm not trying to tell you anything. Another twitch. A scowl. I don't believe Suzanne would give up her home, everything she owns, on a sudden whim. That's not like her. I didn't say it was sudden. I still don't believe it. You don't know her as well as you think you do. Or me, either. Well, in your case, that's for sure. She turned and strode off, muttering, I knew it. I knew it just loud enough for me to hear. I finished watering, then sat on the porch steps to bask in the evening quiet. I hadn't been there five minutes when the other Telford came marching up my front walk. Direct assault mission, it turned out. An unusual tactic for him. Up late again last night, weren't you, Bennett? He said without preamble. So it's Bennett instead of Howard now, is it? Very late. Long after midnight. If I was, I said. You and Aileen must have been, too. Just a couple of night owls. What were you up to digging in your rose garden so damn late? I raised an eyebrow. Binoculars weren't enough for you, is that it? Now you've gone high-tech and bought an infrared scope for better night spying? You didn't answer my question. No, and I'm not going to. What I do on my own property, day or night, is no one's business but my own. He sputtered noisily like a faulty, gas-powered lawnmower. You won't get away with it, Bennett. Get away with what? We'll see to that one way or another. We'll get to the bottom of this. Will you? I smiled at him. I like puzzles myself. Great time-passers. Puzzles? sifting through all the many possibilities, looking for pieces that fit together to form the true picture. Very stimulating, mentally. I don't know what you're talking about. No, I said. Of course you don't. More rummage for Goodwill? Morning. My open garage. And the Telford Fox Terrier at it again. That's right, Aileen, I said. More rummage for goodwill. All of it Suzanne's, I suppose. You can suppose anything you like. Getting rid of everything of hers? Because you claim she's not coming back. I made no such claim. I don't believe she went to Duluth. I'll bet she doesn't even have a sister. I'll bet you'd lose. She did, and she does. So you say. And what do you say, Aileen? She jabbed an accusatory finger at me. 
I say she never left. I say you did something to her. Such as what? Something unspeakable. You won't get away with it. Roger implied the same thing last night. I placed the last of the Teflon sacks in the trunk of the car. That left only the bowling bag. Aileen seemed to notice it for the first time. Her nose twitched and her teeth snapped together. That bag, she said. What have you got in there? It's a bowling bag. So there must be a bowling ball inside. You told Roger you didn't own a ball. Did I? He must have misunderstood. I picked up the bag by its handles, hefting it. Aileen gasped and drew back. That stain on the side. It looks... wet. I said, you're imagining things, and swung the bag inside the trunk. Another gasp, louder. Now what's the matter? It didn't thump when you put it down. It... it... the... It what? Squished. Bowling balls don't squish, Aileen. I know what I heard. She was backing away now, her hands up as if to ward off an attack. Her face had assumed the color of the flesh of her favorite sublime vegetable. Her eyes literally bulged. Now, what could I have in a bowling bag, I said, that would make a squishing sound? She said something that sounded like, ah, and fled. The doorbell rang at seven that evening. Two men in business suits stood on the porch outside, one dark and heavy set, the other fair and loose-coupled. The dark one said, Mr. Howard Bennett? Yes? What can I do for you? Police officers. They held up badges and leather cases. My name is Polofsky. This is Detective Jenkins. We'd like a few words with you, if you don't mind. Not at all, I said, though I can't imagine why. All right, if we come inside? I led them into the living room. Jenkins said, We'll get right to the point, Mr. Bennett. We've had a report of suspicious activity concerning you and your wife. Ah, I said. Now I understand. The Telfords. I should have known they would call you. Why is that? They're the people for whom the phrase neighbors from hell was coined. Sneaks and snoops of the worst sort and melodramatic to boot. They've been insufferable since Suzanne was called away unexpectedly several days ago. Where is your wife, Mr. Bennett? Polofsky asked. Visiting her bedridden sister in Duluth. I told the Telfords that more than once. Is she coming back? Of course, as soon as her sister's condition improves. Mrs. Telford claims you told her your wife was leaving you and staying in Duluth permanently. Then she misunderstood me. Just as both of them have persisted in misunderstanding a series of perfectly innocent incidents. Suppose you give us your version of those incidents. I obliged at some length. Jenkins took notes. Polofsky said, You didn't address the issue of the wet and squishy bowling bag. Oh, that. Aileen Telford has a hyperactive imagination. She's a writer, you know. The bag wasn't wet. It was merely stained. 
and there was nothing in it except an old bowling ball of mine. She heard what she wanted to hear when I set it down. Where are the bag and ball now? They went to goodwill with the other rummage, I lied. Actually, I had pitched the bag into an industrial dumpster not far from my office when no one was looking. Both of them nodded, and Jenkins made another note. So you see, I said, it's all just a tempest in a teapot. So it would seem, Polofsky said. Be all right if we had a look around, Jenkins asked. It's your privilege to say no, naturally. We don't have a search warrant. The implication here, of course, was that they could just go and get one if they felt it necessary. More than all right, I said. Be my guests. I have nothing to hide. I conducted them through the house, top to bottom. They were polite and respectful, but quite thorough in their probings. They exhibited particular interest in my newly painted workshop and the rest of the basement. Examining my tools and even looking inside the big Amana freezer. Naturally, they found nothing incriminating. There was nothing for them to find. From the basement, I took them outside, where I unearthed the hideous ceramic bird sculpture I had buried in the rose garden. I did it on a whim, I said. I've always hated that sculpture, and with Susanna away, well, I just couldn't stand to look at it any longer. Why bury it? Polofsky asked. Why not just chuck it in the trash? I said sheepishly. To be frank, I was covering my backside. I thought that if Suzanne noticed the sculpture was missing and became upset, I could always dig it up and pretend it had been misplaced. I sighed. Now that I have dug it up, I suppose I might as well put it back where it belongs. It was a foolish notion to begin with. Before they left, Jenkins asked for the name, address, and phone number of Suzanne's sister in Duluth. I provided the information, saying, Please don't call her there unless it's absolutely necessary. I'm sure you understand. We just need it for our report, Mr. Bennett. Then you're satisfied that this has all been a misunderstanding? Not to mention a waste of the taxpayers' time and money. I suppose it's too much to hope that the Telfords will be satisfied, too. If we are, Polofsky said meaningfully, they'd better be. Neither member of the Snoop couple bothered me the next day or the morning of the one following. I saw neither hide nor hair of either of them, in fact but that only meant they had changed their tactics from overt to covert. They wouldn't be satisfied, no matter what the police had said to them, until they saw Suzanne hale and hearty with their own eyes. Which is why on the following morning I drove off whistling. The 3 p.m. flight from Duluth was on time. Suzanne was waiting with her bag when I pulled up to the curb at arrivals, scowling at her watch even though I wasn't even a minute late. On the way out of the airport, I said, It's good to have you home, dear. Horse apples, she said. Her favorite epithet, and one I've always loathed. You were probably wishing I'd stayed away a lot longer. That's not true. Of course it's true. Well, you may get your wish. If my sister's condition doesn't improve over the next week or so, I'll probably have to go back there again. I'm sorry to hear that. 
I said. Horse apples. Don't try to deny you've liked living alone. All that freedom to stick your nose in a book and neglect your chores. I've never neglected my chores. Not when I'm around to prod you into doing them. I don't suppose you did everything on the list I gave you. Ah, but I did. Finished building the new table for my sewing room in one evening. Took everything on my rummage list to goodwill. Yes, dear. Plus some odds and ends from the basement. Painted that ugly workshop of yours. All four walls. Cleaned out the pantry and the freezer. And the refrigerator. A good thing I did, too. There was a honeydew melon hidden in back that we bought weeks ago and forgot about. It must have been rotten. It was, I said. Squishy, in fact. Hmm, she said. Did you do anything else besides loaf? Oh, I had some fun with the Telfords. Fun? With those busybodies? We played a game. What kind of game? Actually, it was one they made up. I never would have thought of it myself. But I learned the rules quickly, and even invented a few of my own. Hmm. Who won? I did. How nice for you, she said and let the subject drop. She never has had any interest in my small triumphs. When we arrived home, I made a point of parking prominently in the middle of the driveway and helping Suzanne out of the car. The Telfords had been sitting on their porch. They both scrambled to their feet when they saw her, their necks craning, looking like a pair of ungainly, agitated geese. I waved at them cheerfully. They ducked into their house without even waving back. After I finished the dinner dishes, I sat on the front porch to watch dusk settle over the neighborhood. The evening was warmish, and dusk is my favorite part of the day. Quiet, peaceful, a contemplative time. Lights showed in the Telford house, but there was no sign of either Roger or Aileen. For the first time in as long as I could remember, all their window curtains were drawn and none of them were fluttering at the corners. It would be a good long while, if ever, I thought, before they resumed their spying on the Bennett household. After years of abuse, the prospect of protracted peace and privacy was a heady one. The screen door banged after a while, and Suzanne came out to plop down next to me. Why are you grinning? she demanded. Was I grinning? I didn't realize it. What were you thinking about? Oh, this and that. Possibilities. I don't understand you, Howard. Sometimes I wonder what possessed me to marry you in the first place. Before I could frame a response, George, the Lindemann's Rottweiler mix, came trotting around the corner of the house. Suzanne let out a little screech that caused the dog to stop and flatten slightly with his ears back. Howard! Don't worry, I said. He's harmless. Harmless? An ugly brute like that? How did he get into our yard? There's a loose board in the back fence. Loose board? Why haven't you fixed it? What's the matter with you? A beast like that running loose. There's no telling what kind of damage he'll do. Get rid of him. This instant. I got up and went down the porch steps. George's tail began to wag. He came over and licked my hand. And don't come back until you fix that board, you hear me? 
Yes, dear, you don't need to shout. Horse apples, she said. She went back inside and slammed the door behind her. I said, come on, George, and led the dog around back and across the yard. He didn't want to leave. He stood looking up at me with round, eager eyes, his tongue lolling. I leaned down and patted his head. I don't have anything for you tonight, boy, I told him. But I might have something in the foreseeable future. You never know. Life is full of possibilities. Then I shooed him out and went to get my tools so I could pretend to fix the loose board in the fence. You've just listened to Possibilities here on Calm Mystery. Calm Mystery is a Murder Mystery Company production, part of American Immersion Theater, Scott Crampton, Executive Producer. Our editor is Audra Schildhaus. If you enjoy Calm Mystery, please take the time to rate us and leave a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your fine podcasts. It helps spread the word, and the comments let us know what you like and how we can improve. While you're at it, tell a friend who enjoys a good story, or even an enemy if you need a distraction. And subscribe if you haven't already. That way you won't miss an episode. They'll download to your device when you least expect it. In the meantime, stay calm. Mystery is everywhere. Thank you for listening to Calm Mystery, a Murder Mystery Company production. To solve your own case with us, visit MurderMysteryZoomParty.com, all one word, and use code CALM, C-A-L-M for $20 off your own murder mystery party. We have dozens of entertaining detectives. You can even ask for me, Perry, by name. If no one else can help, and if they can find me, maybe I can help you become Detective of the Night. That's MurderMysteryZoomParty.com, all one word, code CALM.